previously on D&D Kinda. Topher, you see someone standing with his back to you. As he turns around, you realize that this person is an elf. What is, what is your name? What is this place? I don't know what's going on. My name is Christian Alexander. People call me Chrysalix. We were out in the Forbidden Forest. We don't know anything about you. I have no memory. That answers all of my questions. And then he like steps back and starts to look at you. And he says, the clothing and the armor we found near your body, they match patterns of civilizations hundreds of years ago. There are two individuals outside the door. They are orcs. Who is that? Those are the guards of the, the order that patrols the Forbidden Forest. These orc individuals are walking away from the building and back towards the Forbidden Forest. One of them looks back and sees the both of you, and they take off running back towards you. Chrysalix turns towards you and says, Run! And you take off running into the woods. Bartholinud, you are standing in the middle of the border forest. You are alone. There are dozens of dead golden dragons laying all around you. You begin to walk slowly off back towards your clan, the clan of the golden where you were raised, and you were just filled with such hate for the way you were raised. And you approach the edge of camp and people are shunning you and you get back to the tent of the elder. What is it you want? Sir, I need to tell you of what has occurred. My brothers, we have lost many. Do not think that anyone, no golden will you consider a brother or scum. You turn and you walk away. There's someone that approaches you. A woman, Ayesha. Bartholomew, are you all right? Ayesha, I, I must leave. Can you find it in your heart to stay for me? I will not forget you, but we must part. His hand lowers, and he begins swiftly running into the woods, into the night, leaving Aisha, the Golden Clan, and the horrors of his past behind him. Topher, you are running. Uh, as you remember, and you look back, and you remember Chrysalix told you to run, and they, they spotted you. Um, and you look up in the window, and you see Chrysalix in hand-to-hand combat with these, uh, these orc individuals that busted into his room. And he told you to run, so you took off running out of the building, across the courtyard and into the woods. Uh, Go ahead and roll an insight check for me. Insight? Yep. 25. Damn. 25? (laughs) Good roll. All right. Um, So with that, you remember exactly um, what Chrysalix told you. You are running into the Forbidden Forest and it was there, and the reason it's called the Forbidden Forest, 
there is or was or suspected to be a great evil presence that was found or housed within these woods. That is the reason the guard tower was established and the, the camp was uh, built, is to um, was to watch and guard this forest to make sure no one was there, uh, or no one went in, or if anything came out, it would be it would be found immediately. Um, you remember with that good of an insight check, you also remember that uh, Kurslik said that you were found there. Mm-hmm. And that was, it was curious that you didn't remember anything about your previous life. They said they found you in, um, in armor and clothing that was hundreds of years old. Um, so all that kind of stuff is, with that good of an insight check, is kind of coming back up as you were taking off into the woods. Um, as you pass the, the border of this, of the Forbidden Forest and into the woods, there are guards that are constantly patrolling this area and they have spotted you and they took off running into the forest after you. Mm-hmm. So um, you, as you're running um, and they begin chasing you, you kind of turn around to check to see how far back they are behind you, see what kind of beat you've got on them. Uh, go ahead and make a perception check for me. 19. 19. All right. So you turn around um, and they have just passed the, um, I guess, the edge of the forest and they've just made their way in. And and you're probably a good like 50, 60 feet ahead of them. And as you turn around, you also notice something else in the background. You notice that um, where over top the wall of the courtyard, you can see up in the window that kind of has like a, a bay window aspect where you can kind of see into where you and Chris Licks were having your conversation where you awoke. And you see one of the orcs fall out of the window and it has an arrow like wedged in his face. Hell yeah. So you see Chris, <laughs> yeah, Chris as you like are turning her head back to look straight to keep running. You see Chris Alex holding his bow with an arrow and he is aiming it directly at you. At me? Yes. So you, I'm assuming you turn around and keep running? Oh, yeah. Okay. Um, serpentine patterns. <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> so make a dexterity check. 17. Okay. So as as you're running, the dexterity check was to see how you fared against the uh, the branches and trees as you're running. And with that high of a dexterity check, you are leaping right when you need to leap. You're dodging trees, branches. You're not even getting any small cuts or anything. You are just perfectly navigating your way through this forest, almost as if this is something that's just like native to your person. Like you are just used to it. traversing <laughs> these woods like a champion. Um, so what you do notice though is as you're as you're running um there is an arrow that flies past your head and it sticks in the ground in front of you and make a perception check 10. so you notice that uh you're wondering i'm assuming you're wondering what's going on like why is chris like shooting a bow and arrow at you i mean is that like going through your head at all what do you what do you well i mean am i i'm assuming as i'm running i'm looking back and like i see him 
you know, like pointing the bow and arrow down in my direction. Yeah, but it, I wouldn't be able to tell he's pointing it right at me or the guards behind me. Um, because to me that arrow might have. I mean, there, there's a chance that it could have been Chris Licks that shot that one or the guards behind me that shot it. Right. Depending on like where it's stuck and how it's stuck. If it came from like up high and stuck down, or if it came like you know and stuck kind of like where it was being shot from like a level ground. Okay. So, so whenever the arrow hits next to you, um, with that perception check, it, like I said, didn't take much to beat. You notice something. It's not a normal arrow. The arrow hits. There's actually a dagger that has been tied to the top of the arrow. Oh, so he's giving me a weapon. You could make that assumption. Okay, now grab the dagger. Okay, so you stop and just do you just grab the arrow, or do you kind of? Oh, I, gra- I just grab the arrow as I'm running. I try to like just grab it in stride. Okay. Um. So, as you are running, the you're probably running for a good. 10, 15 minutes, like you are probably a good ways into this forest, maybe two miles in. Um, as you're running, you start to notice something. The moss on the trees becomes less dense, um, more more brown. The plant life looks shriveled almost to the point that it's like a clearing, but nothing is dead. Everything is just thin and emaciated. Uh, the trees are curling at their tallest points and moving back towards the ground. The flowers are blooming with their petals dead. Uh, The leaves and the trees are full but wilted, and there are few signs of any kind of life or fauna. Um, And some of the squirrels and rabbits that you you do run across in your your trek, you've noticed in this area, they are unmoved, and their eyes are just very wide and very black, and they're not scared of anything. Um, So it's just a very... Nature is just becoming extremely different around the area that you're running into, and it's just becoming more and more strange the further you run into this forest. But you're not stopping, I'm guessing. Well, uh, first I want to look. I want to turn back around and see if these guys are still chasing me. So you can. They are still chasing you. You can hear them far. They're a little further back than they were before. You are significantly faster than these orcs. They're heavily armored, and you're just kind of like in robes essentially. So am I? I'm not on a path, am I? I'm just um, running make a ways. nature check for me. Nine. Okay. So um, with a nine, you don't exactly know what's happening here. You just find it extremely strange that the plants and animals are acting and growing and curling and wilting in the way that they are without not actually just dying. Like I said, nothing looks dead. It just doesn't look healthy. So make a make a perception check for me here. 23. Okay. Wow. So um, you are standing kind of at the edge of this because I'm imagining you're you're still running while you're kind of drawing these conclusions. Mm-hmm. And then as you head into the area where the forestry just kind of becomes less and less dense, uh, you see that your right and your left way ahead of you is like both to the right and the left. Um, the forest is more dense. just So it almost seems like whatever is happening is happening in like a circular pattern. Um, so, and then straight ahead of you, you can actually see far off in the distance where the trees become more dense. But if you kept running straight, it would take longer to get back into the dense forest. Um, 
also the plant life, the further you go inside of this uh, metaphorical circle, or I guess to say literal circle, literal circle, the plant life is becoming more gnarled and more twisted and more lifeless the further in you go, lending way to, to whatever there is inside this circle of sorts may be originating in the center here. So um, you're running and you see this to the right and the left where the forest is more dense and in ahead what I just described. Which way do you want to go? Right. Okay. I'd like to go right. <laughs> so uh, you take off running to the right and as you're moving, you these individuals are still behind you some ways where they can't actually, I'd say they probably can't see you from where you're at. Um, might be able to see like like small like glimpses of you as you're moving. Um, so you take off running and uh, make a constitution saving throw. 21. Okay. So as you're Jesus. moving, the <laughs> floor of the forest collapses underneath of you like a trap door and like leaves and sticks and dirt kind of fall in. And then as quickly as they fall, you notice there is a rope contraption that when you hit the floor has a pulley that pulls back and it raises the floor back up. So the fl- the hole that you fell in has now re-risen and has sealed the entrance to this. Oh, trap so like door. I'm underneath this. You're underneath of the forest okay. floor. So I'm like kind of is, fallen in. And yeah. And it's it's very dark in here. There are no torches. There's nothing other than the fact that there are small holes in the ceiling um, near the entrance anyway, or where you fell in, where the sun, uh, what little is shining through the treetops in the forest are illuminating this small cavern that you're standing in. And as you look around, you notice that every direction that you look other than one is just like a dirt wall. Looks like it was carved out with a shovel or and there's roots sticking out of it, uh, rocks, uh, just very primitive looking cave. Uh, I like these tunnels tall enough for me to walk through or do I have to like crawl? I'd say it's it's tall enough for you to walk through if you were to like put your head down and like kind of hunch over a little bit. But you do notice that the one direction that there you are able to go, um, it actually goes further down into the ground and back towards the way that you were just moving away from. So back towards where this it seemed like all of the stuff was originating from. Right. Yeah. Back towards the center of that area. So and it goes further down into the ground in that direction. And what you do notice is that while you're looking at this, the entire pathway is covered in spider webs. Like it's just almost completely closed with spider webs. Um, and there is a, a discernible pathway on the ground, but it's, it's only reason you know it's a pathway is because the, the water that has gotten down in here has created kind of like a trench where footsteps may have been there's something has walked this path, but it has not been walked in a very long time. And as you can tell by the spider webs, nothing has been through here in quite some time. Uh, I want to take a second and like detach that dagger from the arrow. Okay. And I guess just kind of like, it probably doesn't have a sheath or anything. I'm going to like kind of stick it in my belt. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm going to use the arrow to kind of clear the path. And I want to start heading, heading that way. 
but before I start heading down, I want to look around like where I had fallen down in and see if there's, I don't know, maybe some, some like loose rope I could grab or anything like that. Anything that's around that may have fallen in before that I could use. So I think I've got this dagger and an arrow. I mean, okay. I'm assuming there's probably not any weapons, but like any kind of rope or from like the, the trap door. Make an investigation check. 16. Okay. Um, so you don't see any uh, rope or anything that's freely hanging. Uh, the only rope that you see is what's was being used to control this kind of contraption. Uh, it has like a pulley system on one side that, that kind of wraps around and folds this up and there's kind of like a sandbag on the other end that falls whenever there's weight and then it pulls down creating a, like a trap door and then when the weight's gone it falls back down and then lifts the the fake floor back up but there's that sandbag there's this wooden contraption and then there's rope there that you could cut and take but nothing that's um, not being used that's just laying around uh, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna do anything with it I'm I don't want to open this up and like have this path just obviously there in the forest. So I'm just going to leave it be and I'm going to head down the tunnel, the spider filled tunnel. Okay. As you're walking down this pathway, you're kind of hunched over and you're using this arrow uh, out in front of you to try to just moving it kind of back and forth. I'm imagining trying mm-hmm. to like scraping all this spider web out and making mm-hmm. a path for you to walk. Um, you're, I mean, this, this arrow is like probably three or four inches thick in spider web. Mm, looks like a cotton candy. Exactly. Yeah. And you just, just Shrek like cotton candy, <laughs> just eating it. Um, so you have this, the stick that's covered in spider webs and you're just continuing to clear it. And this pathway probably goes for, I don't know, you've been walking for probably a good five minutes, kind of hunched over, moving this out of the way. Um, and it's almost pitch black at this point there's just small remnants of light because you are not only moving further towards the center of wherever this is or further in this direction but you're also moving further into the ground and you can feel it becoming more and more musty in the air but also a little cooler since you're you're deep underground um and then as you continue to walk the direction of the faint light kind of shifts from behind you to in front of you and it becomes hotter and hotter as you start to move further in this direction. So much so that you're almost sweating. Um, the air becomes very thin as you get further into this pathway. And up ahead of you, still kind of encased in spider webs, you see uh, a light. Or to go towards the light. Okay. Like a moth. So you continue to cut the spider web away. And then you get down further towards this light. And you realize that there is a almost like a chamber. And whenever you get down in here, there is not only is it a chamber, but it's it's crafted very similarly in the fashion that the rest of this pathway was. It was almost as if it was carved out with a with a shovel. Like it's very uh, round in nature. Um, there's roots sticking out. There's worms in the walls. There's just an, an unnatural amount of worms like in the wall. Like it's almost like they're crowded around this area but maybe because it's warm there i mean you don't really know it's just very warm in this room um and the reason it looks like is there are torches 
that are just lit on the walls. Um, you don't know how long they've been lit, you know, because it seems like it's been ages since anyone's been in this room as the entire thing is just covered in shaken dirt that looks like it may have been fallen from the ceiling onto these uh, these tables that have papers and books and things all over them. And there is a, um, there's a, like a big pot sitting in the room, um, like a cauldron almost. And then across the room, there is a, um, it's like almost like a mannequin, but it's like a, um, I don't know, it's in the shape of a body and it has um, some robes on it. And the robes, beside the robes, they're just, uh, they're like basic like brown robes and it has like a, a hood on it. Um, and beside the robes on the table, there's a stand. And on the stand, there is a very intricate looking wand that is resting on the table. What do you do? So the whole room's pretty pretty well lit with these torches. Yeah. There's four torches, and they're kind of on the wall, just put symmetrically around mm-hmm. the room. And there, this is the only entrance into the room that yep, I can see? only entrance and only exit that you can see. Okay. At first, I was intrigued about the tables with the papers, but I'm going to, once I see the wand and the, the figure with the robes on... And the fact that there's torches lit makes me feel like there might be some kind of magic or something here. So I'm going to go, I want to go look around where like the wand is and those robes and see if there's any, anything else around there. Okay. Um, So you kind of walk up to the wand and the robes and you're looking around that. Uh, go ahead and make an investigation check for me. That's a crit fail. Ouch. Okay. You kind of go up to um, the wand and the the robes, and you start to kind of peek around them. And as you um, as you walk up to them, uh, you don't notice anything special. The wand just kind of looks like a piece of wood with some intricate inlay in it, but you know it's a wand. And the the robes, you don't notice anything special about them. They just look like brown fabric. So so since I don't notice anything about that, I'm going to go over to the tables and see if on these papers there's anything that might kind of give me an, an idea of what's going on here. Okay. So you go over to this. Uh, there's this one large table, uh, probably about three or four feet long, um, and you kind of walk up to it, and it's just covered in papers and dirt, dust, all kinds of stuff. And as you start to, like, rifle through some of these these papers, uh, go ahead and give me a, uh, an investigation check on this as well. Don't fail me now. 18. Okay. So uh, you notice a few things on this table here. There are um, a lot of writings and inscriptions around uh, old gods. Um, and then there's a, there is a huge book that's kind of that's hidden by some of the papers as you were looking up at this. And you um, pull back some of these papers as you kind of see like there's a lump under the papers and you pull up this book. And this book is it's very, it's very thick and it's got a it's very intricate um, 
black leather cover on it, and it has an inscription of like a a sun that is behind a mountain range, but the mountain range is upside down. And initially, you probably thought you were holding the book upside down, but when you opened it, you can read it even though it's not in common. And so it looks like the sun is setting upside down behind this mountain range, and it's kind of creating like this V. And um, this is, it has an inscription on it. So written on the cover of this book in Abyssal is the words vile darkness. Um, now, alternatively, laying around on the papers, uh, I said there's a mention of some old gods. There's some, there are a lot of papers that have information regarding uh, Ball and information regarding uh, Orcus. Uh, there's information regarding someone named Cthulhu. There's a lot of information just about these gods, who they were, what their followers were like, how to summon them, how to talk to them, being, having them as a patron, as a warlock, and just very in-depth descriptions of contact and association and worship of these gods. So there's all these papers about these gods, the, you know, dark, evil gods and then the the book in the book is there like a beginning that kind of tells like a prologue yeah kind of like that um about what's or or is rifling through the book can i tell exactly or is this some kind of like spell book to summon or is this no so that's actually something that's i'll give you this whenever you open the cover of the book um the cover doesn't automatically open on this book. So whenever you open this book, you go to pull on it and it doesn't lift. And then there's a bit of resistance and then it opens. And then whenever you pull your hand back, your fingers have blood on them and your fingers, all four of them are cut. So my fingers are bloody so i'm assuming that yeah you didn't feel any pain but your your fingers are bleeding that's just from open so like whenever i was holding the book nothing happened but whenever i opened the book right so it seems like it takes some kind of i guess obviously blood to open it like almost like a little, a little mini sacrifice i mean you don't that's know. what you know that's <laughs> what it seems to me but now that it's open what can i see um so do you just start to like rifle through it? Well, I want to open it up. And then once I notice that my fingers are bleeding, I'm going to lay it back down on the table while it, the front covers open. And I want to see if there's anything on that first page. Okay. So whenever you lay this book down, it closes by itself. Horse shit. And then whenever you also, you lay the book down and you see it close and you also notice that your fingers, the blood on your fingertips, like sucks back up into your hand and your fingers are dry. And it doesn't hurt me. No. Okay, I'm going to open it back up. Okay. But I want to hold it. And you want to hold the book? Yeah, I okay. want to hold it. Uh, not against like my chest. <laughs> I want to hold it like in one hand. If it's, I mean, I'm assuming that it's not huge, so I can hold it in one hand right. and then use my other hand to like kind of go through it yeah i mean it's it's a it's a very big very thick book yeah so you you're holding this book and you kind of uh pull it open and you see the blood dripping off your fingertips again 
Um, and it's the same thing. When you go to open it, there's a lot of resistance. Like, it will just won't open. And then after you see the blood kind of come start coming from your fingertips, it does pull open. And immediately on the first page of this book, you notice that there are uh, there are inscriptions of just names, just endless names. And as you're flipping this book, it's just name after name, just and some of them are like crossed out, um, and some of them are still there, and some of them you notice that are like written in different colors of of ink. Some are written in like a red ink or black ink. So as you're scrolling through these and you're not, none of these names are looking familiar to you at all. Um, and eventually I'm, I'm imagining as Topher's looking through this book, you're getting like seven, eight pages in and you just kind of like start to pick up multiple pages at once. Yeah. I'd kind of just see if that's what all is in this book is just names. Right. So you grab like a, a chunk of probably like 30, 40 pages and you pull it over. And then on the page that you open it up to, there is a symbol uh, it has a head on it, and it's the whole page is this black and white sigil, but it's got a head on it, and it has like a slit for a mouth, and there's two very large tusks that are coming out of the mouth that is in the shape of like it's frowning, and then there are uh, ears on the side of it with giant rings, and the head is bald, um, and you don't know what the symbol is or what it stands for, but that is on this one page. And on the page before that, it, there are still names. Well, I'm going to turn over just that page and see what's next because it's something different that I haven't seen. Okay. Um, go ahead and make a perception check for me. 15. 15. Okay. So when you turn over the next page, um, as the page is closing, you don't see anything uh, crazy specific. But... You start to read through this book and it goes into it talks about the god Orcus. And as you are reading this, you kind of I'm assuming you make the assumption that that sigil on that page That's is probably the, him. Right. And it goes into talk about how Orcus is the the demon prince of undeath. undeath. So undeath. Yep. Um and it goes in to talk about how these the powers that this demon prince has have been granted by some of the more prolific old gods and that he's been allowed to thrive by pulling the souls of the creatures who were loyal and faithful to this demon prince and allowing them to live on an Im immortality and how they are it just goes in to talk about this this kind of uh, the history of this and as you are reading through this the book references that the names in the front of this book are the names of the individuals who have bound their souls to this demon prince of undeath and there was like how much of the book probably a good like 50 60 pages of names so there's just like and there's probably like hundreds of thousands of names in here uh, i wouldn't say hundreds of thousands i would say probably uh, probably at least two or three thousand mm. names and none of the names I, I didn't recognize any of the names obviously like my name wasn't in there no i mean you don't know anyone you, your your memory's gone 
Well, yeah. So. I didn't see my name, though. That's what I was kind of saying. No. Okay. Um, now, is the rest of the book just about Orcus or... Um, so, as you kind of scroll through it, there are there's a lot of information in this book. There's a lot of history. There are tales of Orcus and his doings in the underworld. There are collections of potions and a lot of information about essentially how to bind yourself to this prince of undeath. Um, so it seems to you anyway, from what you're surmising, it has all these names and then it gives origins on Orcus, who he was, mm-hmm. what these names are. And then a lot of it's like a Wikipedia spells article. and dark magics that surround this demon God. Now it does, like I said, it does reference, um, his his ties to these other gods, which I'm assuming you probably made the connection. That's why all these other papers are laying mm-hmm. around because it gives kind of a backstory and history and very similar information that this book gives on those other old older gods. Mm-hmm. I mean, so that's all I see in the room though is just this table with these papers and books on it, and then that that robe and the wand and the cauldron and these you know obviously the torches on the wall. Yeah, I mean, there's like, there's obviously like a chair and a table, like where it looks like someone might have sat to eat. There's a, um, like a small little uh, hole where it looks like there's some burnt wood, where it looks like they had like a lit a fire or something like that under, and maybe they moved the cauldron on top of it or something. But, um, well, um, what am I wearing right now? What they, am I still wearing what they found me in? You're wearing like a robe right now, but they definitely took what you were wearing off of you because remember we talked about how Chrysalix mentioned the fact that what you were wearing had inscriptions and matched uh, civilization from like hundreds of years back. Yeah. So they had, he had taken it, taken it to study it or to look into it. Is the robe that's on that thing down here in better condition than the one that I'm wearing right now? Uh, I mean, yes. The one you're in is, like, very worn. It's kind of, like, damp and really dirty. This one's just, like, dusty, the one that's on that. I want to take it and wear it. Okay. I'm going to put that on, and I would like to take the wand as well. Okay. Just going to change into it right now? Yeah. Okay. Strip down and... Yeah. I don't do anything with the wand because I don't think that... I mean, from that perception check that I had, I don't nothing special about it. It's just a wand. Do you take it? Wood. No, or do you leave it. Just leave it. You leave it. Okay. Um, but I take the uh, take the robe because I need something better to wear. Something that you know, I kind of like shake it out and get the dust off of it, and then put it on. Okay. Um. All right. So you put on the robe, and I mean, it's just a set of clothes. Mm-hmm. You don't feel any different. Nothing. Nothing crazy about it. Uh, make a make a another perception check for me. Uh, twenty one. So one thing is in this room that you didn't see before. I forgot to mention it. Um, there is a shovel and a pickaxe in here as well. Um, the cauldron, the cauldron that's there. There is something in it that has like a a very odd smell. Like it's just sitting there. It's not hot or anything. It's just feel. It looks like it's just been sitting there, and the dirt on the ceiling above the cauldron is like black, and whatever that is 
it looks like it's slowly like turning the soil all around it, just like a dark color and just kind of seeping into the soil. Is there something under the cauldron that can be lit on fire? Uh, the cauldron is on a stand, um, and there's nothing under that, but it does look like it can be moved um, over to where the fire pit was. Okay. Like there's drag marks on the floor where you can see it was. It can be moved back and forth over top of that. Right, I'm gonna drag it over to the fire pit, and I want to take a torch from the wall and light the fire pit and see what happens. Okay. So you drag the uh, the cauldron stand over top of the flame, and you reach up and grab the grab one of the torches off the wall and light the fire. Um, and as you do, um, the room does kind of fill with like a, a smoke. Um, and after a few minutes of the fire burning underneath of the cauldron, the room kind of fills with a, um, like a greenish black smoke. Um, and the dirt all around is like starting to dry out and it starts to like fall off the ceiling. Um, and, but it's also like turning black. So. Okay. I want to grab the pickaxe and the shovel and the wand and I want to just take them over and lay everything out on the table. Okay. And I so wanna... whenever you grab the wand, your fingers bleed like they did with the book. Okay. I want to take the wand to the cauldron and I just kind of want to tap on the, the top of the cauldron with the wand and just, you know, see if anything happens. Just like, Okay. Uh, yeah, you tap, you do that, and there is nothing that, nothing happens. Well, shit. So I walk over to the table with everything laid out on it, and I want to pick up the book. And with the wand in my right hand and the book in my left hand, and with the wand in my right hand, I want to, I still want to, I want to open up the book again. Okay. Do you just grab, like, a random page and open it up to it? Yeah, yeah, just open it okay. up. So, um... Whenever you do this, you open up the you open up the page and you tap the wand on the book and nothing nothing in particular happens. But you do notice that again when you open up that book, there's that resistance and your fingers start to bleed. Um, whenever you open up the book, though, there's a a word that catches your eye in the book. Um, you don't know what it means. You just know that's it's just the first word that you see. And that word is phylactery. So. Phylactery. <laughs> mm. um, um, would you like to keep reading the book to see what it says about it? Yeah. I mean, since it stuck out to me, I'd like to, I mean, I, I would be obviously curious. Okay. So um, you're lo- you look at this word and you start to look at context and it kind of brings up the fact that um, a phylactery is like a sealed uh, box that contains like strips of, of parchment with arcane phrases um, and stuff that it's stored there in relations to old old magics and gods and spirits and things of that nature. So, so I just see that and that's all, that's it. There's nothing. There's no more to it than just. I mean, it go, it just goes in to explain what that is and how. Um, Orcus, the god, would use this to keep his those who are loyal to him and the souls of those individuals he that followed him alive throughout the ages. Hmm. I want to take the uh, 
my old robe, the one that I took off, mm-hmm. and I want to lay it out on the table that looks like somebody used to eat at, something like the table that's empty, and I want to put this book and the wand and all the papers that I can get into it. Okay. And I want to like kind of tie it up to where I can kind of hold the pickaxe and the shovel down in there too and carry it and kind of like throwing it over your shoulder and having it like hanging. Yeah. Like a, yeah. Kind of like that. The running where, away vibe. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that way I can, I can keep all this stuff because I'm intrigued by it and I don't want to <laughs> leave this here, but I also, I, I, cause I don't want to stay here. I want to leave. Right. I want to start, I want to take this and start heading back up that tunnel. Okay. I mean, it doesn't look like there's anything else of worth down here, but this stuff, you know, they, Chris looks told me that I was found in the Forbidden Forest, and this is maybe a step closer to figuring out a part of my past. So I want to just take it with me. Okay. Try so, to get out of this dungeon place. Thingy. You, uh, you lay this robe out on the table, and you kind of spread the fabric about as thin as you can get it to create, like, maximum service area, and you put the book in the middle and lay the wand on top of it and just start to stack this stuff really intricately. And as you're doing this, it's almost as if your mind is fracturing because what you're seeing is as you're stacking this stuff, your vision is like cracking and you're remembering something from your past. And it's almost like you're consciously able to control what you're doing, except it's almost like two separate realities happening at the same time. Because as you're putting this book and this wand together, you have a, you're also seeing from your eyes, the perspective of someone who's taking skulls and stacking them up together. And as you wrap this, this robe up you're also seeing something wrap up all these skulls and as you like tie it you're also seeing that and then your vision is just normal again how close is that chair to me (laughs) i mean just right in front of you maybe right beside you maybe i sit down for a second and kind of ponder and kind of look around and see did anything in that vision look familiar to this area like the surroundings of it or was it just like the, what I was doing is being replaced uh, I mean, everything it was whatever was happening in that it was happening right where you right were right where I was skulls so after I sit down for a second kind of collect myself I want to stand up and grab everything that I just packed up but I want to look around the room again to make sure that there's nothing else that I missed before I start heading out because something obviously is evil here might not necessarily be here at this moment but something something's happened here or used to happen here or still happens here that's just not here while I'm here and just see if there's anything else that I can see in the room like before I head back out okay um give me a perception check I'm imagining you're kind of like walking towards the door and you're doing that like when you leave a hotel kind of thing. You like stand in the doorway and you're like looking around to see if there's anything else that you're missing. Like mm, I don't. It, I was a six. I don't see a shit. <laughs> okay. So you, you do like a once over of the room and everything is 
Um, other than the stuff that you've taken, everything is exactly as it was. This fire beneath this cauldron is still burning. Yeah, I'm going to leave it. And Okay. And the stuff, whatever's in it, is just bubbling, bubbling out. Mm. Um, um, I want to walk over to the, the cauldron before I leave. And I would like to kind of just look down into it and see exactly what's going on inside the cauldron. Because this is something that's turning everything. It's turned everything black, but like I feel like it's more of a unnatural, maybe like a magical type thing. It's not just the soot or whatever from the fire or the you know whatever right. that's turning everything dark. So um, you kind of slowly approach the cauldron and just kind of peer over into it, and uh, you knew there was something in it when you moved it because it was very heavy and you could hear it sloshing around. And when you look down into it, it's a like a thick, viscous, green liquid. And it is bubbling because of the fire. Um, but what you're noticing is the bubbles that are rising to the surface, also green, whenever they pop, there's like a red fluid. There's a red fluid that when it pops kind of swirls and just gets mixed back into the green. And then when they pop, it releases a black smoke that flies up into the air and just kind of gets sucked into the the atmosphere of the room and then in the dirt causing it to become more and more dark hmm. I want to take my shovel off okay and I want to kind of scoop just like a little bit out like a giant spoon almost okay and I want to take it and I want to like inspect it closer and maybe smell it and once it cools down maybe Maybe, maybe give it a little taste. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. So um, I'm just curious. Like, I want to know what this is. You you put your shovel in, and then you kind of pull it up. And there's if I smell it, and it smells like nasty. Then I'm not going to taste it. But <laughs> no. So you you pull it up, and then you it's very hot. Um, so as you get it close to your face, it's kind of like very it's very warm. But when you smell it, you have a strong. Uh, iron odor um also a uh, it's i mean it's putrid it is disgusting smelling okay yeah i don't want to taste it then okay <laughs> but it, it's very it very much smells like iron hmm. so once it cools down a little bit i want to i kind of want to touch it okay i want to like kind of just put it in my hand and see if anything happens like while it's in my hand Okay. Obviously, once it's cooled down, I don't want to burn myself. No, that's fine. So you just kind of like uh, you're holding it there and you're blowing on it. And when you, you kind of put your hand in it and then you like dump a little bit into your palm of your hand, I'm guessing. Mm -hmm. And then when you do, it's like it's very it's a very thick green. But as it's like moving, you see like fractals of, of red through it as like the, the solidity kind of breaks as it's moving. Um, and... You, there's like small white something solid in it like small and white beneath the red and the green and it is it almost like runs like honey like it's really thick hmm. so but nothing happens when you touch it it's just does it look it like it smells awful like a rotting body does it this was going to say like it, it sounds like blood and bones and like flesh like somebody boiled somebody alive maybe it has that kind of smell like you don't know exactly what it is but that's 
what it smells like. Okay. Or at least what you'd imagine a burning body would smell like. Like very iron-y, so bloody. Uh, and it's got like small, hard, white fragments in it. Um, I kind of scrape it off of my hand mm-hmm. with my shovel, the other part that, yeah. <laughs> and then kick some dirt up under the fire or onto the fire to kind of put this out. And I guess I just. I guess I go. I'm going to leave. There's nothing more for me here. Okay. So smoke starts to billow off the fire um, as it just got put out. So it's filling the room with smoke. Um, And you start to walk back up the path with your little knapsack Mm. full of all the the findings. Um, So you you took the book. You took the wand. Took everything. Papers, everything. Yep. I wanted, I wanted okay. All the papers, everything, everything that I could fit into this, I, I took. Okay. Obviously, the book and the wand were the most important pieces, plus the pickaxe and the shovel. So, I, if something happens, I can get out. You know, if something collapses, or you know. Okay. Um, so you you walk the good five ten minutes it takes to get back up this path, and the light behind you starts to dissipate, and the fractals of light coming from. Um, the ceiling of this trap door start to illuminate the path ahead of you, and then you get to the end where this um, this path is, and this trap door, and you go to pull on. Well, I'm assuming you get to the end. You go to open it back up. Yeah, th- th- so you've that been was down the- here for a while. Yeah, so you don't hear anyone up on the ground above you. You, kind of, I'm assuming, you kind of sit and listen and wait to hear. Well, yeah, if I, I, up. yeah, I'm not gonna, just going to go up immediately, but. There, that was the only way down, like, or that room that I went to, that was the only path. There wasn't, like, a path on the other side of this entrance, was there? No, there is There is no other way into this entr- this area. Okay. Yeah, I want to pull this trap door down and crawl okay. up out of this hole. So you go to grab the rope, and whenever you do, you have another vision. But this is this one's different. So you, you put your hand on this rope, and you go to pull on it. And in front of you are children's hands. Everything is very sepia tone, like golden, as whenever you are looking around, you are in a church. And you're holding a rope, and you're pulling on it. And when you pull on this rope, you see up on the pedestal, up where there is a uh, a podium, and there is a huge red... Uh, circular plate and as you pull on this you hoist up a banner and it has the symbol of Mishkal which matches the symbol of the books and the clothes that Chrysalix had Um, as you hoist this banner that has the symbol of Mishkal up on it there is an individual that walks out um, from the room back behind this plate and this, this plate that's hanging it's just a probably a good 15, 20 foot plate that's hanging with this symbol that you just pulled up. This banner that you just hoisted up over top of it and this plate is red and it's glowing and it's like there's something behind it and it's like shooting light in different portions of it and the light that's shooting through this red is a dark cloudy light that's just shooting around different portions of it 
and whenever you hoist the symbol of uh, Mishkal over top of it, it covers the majority of it. And then um, from beside you, there is an individual that walks out of the room and then bends down beside you and puts his hand on your shoulder. And you look over, and it's the uh, proprietor of the church. And he starts to speak, and as he does, there's the door to the church opens up. And you're still, like, holding onto this rope. And you turn around and this door opens and there's someone, the light shining from outside um, is kind of masking this individual as he like walks into this this church. And as you see him, you recognize this individual. And as he walks up between the chairs of the church, it is Chrysalix. So Bartholomew, you walk out of your camp and you've le- just left Aisha behind and really your entire life you've just left behind. Um, I mean, just hours, maybe yesterday. I mean, you've been, been awake for some time, but you've just experienced many of your golden brethren that you've grown up with and fought with for years get slaughtered by some beast in the border forest uh, the clan elder didn't seem to care Aisha you just had to leave you couldn't stay around there and that meant leaving her behind so you walk to the edge of, of camp and down to the river and you take one of the only boats that is at the dock and you get in the boat and you start to downriver. And as you you kind of look back and you see Aisha standing at the shore and she's watching you just kind of drift out of sight as you crest the edge of the lake and start onto the stream and down the river you go. So the river that you're on, I'd kind of imagine this being a it's a slow moving river and it is for miles and you know that being is that you guys have camp in this area so I'm imagining Bartholomew is extremely tired and do you think that Bartholomew would take this opportunity to rest or being as pensive and I guess kind of give me what his demeanor would kind of be like. He's just kind of left everything behind. He fought off an urge to destroy the camp. He left Aisha. His friends and some of his family were just murdered. Where, what's Bartholomew kind of thinking at this point in time? So as, as I'm sitting in the boat, it's a rowboat, right? Yeah, just a one, small, like one or two person boat. Probably one with the size of a Dragonborn. I'm just rowing kind of calmly down the river and it was a very solemn moment for Bartholomew. He looks out kind of depressively at everything around him. He doesn't have very much. The thoughts that are in his head are far more overwhelming than the new surrounding environment that he's constantly being exposed to as 
You know, the river slowly brings him into a new area. He doesn't recognize things around him as much as he likely should. He's aware of that, but somehow there's still just that that knot in his stomach that, you know, a major change to his life has just happened. And he has to, you know, begin to digest that. Okay. So, um, as you're floating down this river, I'd say that, you know, with, with that type of mindset, you know, the river's kind of carrying you. You're not having to do much other than maybe just keep yourself more towards the middle. I would imagine it's very, it'd be very easy for time to slip by. And before you know it, the, the shadow and the water is behind you and you're starting to see the reflection of light peer over the mountains behind you. And as it's still dark, you notice as you're going down the river that off to the left, slightly up off the shore and into the woods, you see some torches. And there is a camp, or at least it looks like there is a camp with some individuals. Um, you can't, you don't, you can't make out who they are. You hear like the clanging of metal, and you hear a woman scream. So something is going on up in up in the woods, off the shore. Is that something that Bartholomew would even care about, or do you think he would just let it go? And he hears these things, and he notices the the torches, but he keeps on rowing. Okay. So as you kind of leave this behind the screamings kind of stop and you keep going and as you flow further down the river you kind of open up into another large like lake and as the lake opens up you uh you notice off to the other side of the lake there is a um a small like docking area that leads, looks like it leads into a city of sorts. The lake is relatively large and further off to the left, um, probably, you know, hundreds of yards across the lake. There's, you see where the rapids start and it looks like it starts another stream. So what, what do you do? Which, um, as I was flowing down the river, which side of the river were, was that camp on? On the left. And is the town also on the left? No, it's on the right. So I would like to row my boat not to the town or the docks that are in the town, but just outside of town. Okay. On the right side of that river. And I just want to, as I approach the shoreline, I want to begin to paddle more quickly to give the boat momentum. That way, as it becomes beached up on the shoreline, it pushes the boat to make it easier to get out. Okay. So uh, you do this without an issue. You're going to give one, two, three big heaves with your uh, with your oar on either side, and it kind of beaches you up into the sand. And you can kind of feel the pull of the water and the waves kind of tug at the boat, but it's not going anywhere because the, the bow of the boat is in the sand. Is there anything in the boat with me? Anything uh, I can use for survival? I would say that whenever you left, you had some of your belongings, maybe some extra clothes, 
uh, your weapon, maybe uh, rations, a bedroll, things of that nature. Probably in the boat with you. So I get out of the boat and assess my immediate surroundings in a first-ditch survival attempt to just make sure that I have the bare necessities. I'm on my own now. I don't have the resources of a clan, of the hunters and and all of the foragers that have went out and gotten meats and fruits and vegetables. I no longer have that, so I only have what my own hands can gather. So my first initial thoughts are of primal necessity to make sure I can sustain my life on my own. Okay. So um, are you saying that you like, you go and hunt or? So as soon as I step out of the boat, I just kind of look around me to assess whether or not it would be a good area to set up camp. I would be looking for an area that's somewhat flat, that doesn't have a lot of trees or bushes in the way. That would be a nice little area to clear. I would also prefer to find some somewhat large stones nearby so I don't have to carry the stones very far, but I could form them in a circle for a small campfire. Okay. I'd be looking for any sort of dead twigs, anything that might be used as kindling that I could use to begin a fire, a place that I can lay down my bedroll, maybe find some branches and create a primitive lean-to to just have some shelter if it would rain. Okay. So where you kind of uh, beached your boat, um, I don't want to give the impression that this is like, a, this is a beach. Like it is a, it's more of a rocky shore that has sand on it. So where you kind of docked your boat at, it was enough sand and dirt to kind of wedge your boat into it. Um, but the surrounding area, I mean, there's like a, uh, like almost like a river, river bank. It's got large rocks, stones, uh, tree roots that are kind of coming off of the, the side of the, the bank and into the water. And where you banked, and not I wouldn't say directly ahead of your boat, but I would say maybe um, maybe 50 feet down the beach, there seems to be an open clearing where the trees are naturally curving out towards the water, but they're large trees and they create a um, kind of like a natural cover um, over a small clearing where there are some, there's a, a big stone um, and beside that stone is a is a flat dirt area. And this around you, this is a this is a heavily wooded area. So while it is kind of difficult to s- see exactly what would be down here, you could very easily make the assumption that there would be plenty of rocks and plenty of sticks and s- the things that you would require to to make a fire, to make camp, to uh, make a natural cover all this stuff would be easily or disposal maybe not lying directly around but very easy easy to harvest so okay that seems like a good spot so i want to just take the boat and kind of pull it up on shore so if a if the tide goes up or if anything changes with the current elevation of the water the boat won't drift away on me um and then i want to head over there and gather some sticks make this make a circle with some rocks and and start a campfire. Uh, what sort of weapon did I have on me? Whenever you left camp, you kind of left on your own volition. Mm-hmm. So you kind of chose whatever weapon you feel you would you would want to take with you. So. Okay. Yeah, he has a, a halberd, and he typically also has a a dagger, okay, some sort of cutting tool. So that's that's one thing that he does is he goes and 
He just tries to create a very primitive camp. One of the techniques that he learned um, growing up amongst the Golden Clan, one of the things that he was known for was he would take his halberd and he would, with a single slice, chop through uh, a sapling tree, a small tree. And he would drag the entire tree along the flat surface of a camp that they're going to set up in the branches and the leaves on the trees would move some of the debris that's natively sitting on the ground so he takes an entire small sapling tree and and that's his that's his vision that's what he's wanting to do right now so he takes out his albert and he kind of walks back just shortly away from camp and finds a thin tall but um somewhat firm sapling tree and with his halberd he just swipes at the entire bottom of this tree just in in one foul sloop to try to to cut the entire tree down okay uh go ahead and make a strength check for me 19 so the halberd does hit the tree and it doesn't go all the way through though but it's not because bartholinude wasn't strong enough I would say that it's because, I mean, it went far enough distance to make it all the way through if it had been a, a, a straight hit. But I would imagine there's just so much on your mind that your Bartholomew is having a really hard time keeping his head completely clear it's to his goal. I mean, there's been a ton of stuff happen in the last 24 hours. It would take absolutely nothing to continue to break this, and I'm sure that you do. But it's Well, he to- gets really frustrated. So he holds the neck of his halberd with his right hand and with his left hand, he reaches up to the, as far as he can up the tree and he bends the tree down to free his blade from the wood that it was stuck in. And then he starts running down the shoreline toward the camp that he saw a little bit ago. The Where the torches with the woman screaming. So now that's on the other side of the... I'm aware. Okay. Okay, so you, you take off... Uh, running now. This is a this is a decent ways up, but I'm imagining that imagining that Bartholomew also knows this and knows that you know this is more of like an outlet for him. Like he's he's frustrated. And I'm, I'm assuming he has halberd in hand, mm-hmm. and he's taking off running up the shore. And um, so I'm kind of imagining Bartholomew is you know whenever you're just really frustrated, he's he takes off running and what what is empowering him and what is moving him or it's almost entirely emotional he knows exactly what he's going if you were to have seen him he's like locked on running but just in in his head i mean he's just pouring back over the last day and not upset about the decisions that he made but just wondering why it had to come to the point that it did and why his life had to be like this why him like what what's i wouldn't say special but what's so bad about him why why has everything up to this point been so negative so as he's he's pouring over these thoughts and running along i wouldn't even say it's a shoreline at this point i'd say you're probably up to the point where it's a river again and you're kind of moving along through the trees um and you're not to the point where you see where the camp is, but you now see the torches directly on the other side of the river. And they are actually moving back down towards the lake that you just came from on the opposite side of the river. 
and you see the three torches moving, look, it, moving through the they're trees. They're moving, so it looks like someone's carrying them. You can't actually see through the tree, like specifically. Actually, you know, what? give me a perception check. Maybe you can see through the tree <laughs> to what's going on. It's a nine. Okay, so I mean, the only thing you can really see are the the torches because it's still early morning and they are under the, the cover of the trees. So you can really just see the torches and you can kind of see their, the figures of these individuals and you can only see three individuals. And they're moving people. basically downstream. Yes, and toward, they don't, they don't the see you. Uh, they're just kind of moving through almost as if they don't really have a care. They're just traveling. So I just move upstream a little bit more. Is there anything I can identify about the vegetation or about the wildlife that might have been where their camp once was? Or does it say that does it appear like they might have just left and that's where their camp is? Make an insight check. See if you can remember. Fifteen. Okay. I'd say with a fifteen, I mean you you remember like specifically where their campfire or the the camp was and the kind of the terrain surrounding it. Um, also I'll give you the fact that now that it's a little bit light out, you can see that there's some smoke uh, kind of billowing up from the treetops. Not very much, just lightly billowing. So there might have been like a campfire. Uh, and I would say at this point, as you've been moving up the river, directly across the river. I want to assess the safety of swimming across the river. Okay. So as you recall, the river wasn't um, very fast moving. No rapids. It was very slow pace. So you could likely swim across it with ease. I'll do that. Okay. So My target you, is the camp. Okay. Where these people just left from. Okay, so you you come out of the water and climb up the shore and into the trees, and as you walk into this camp, there are two bodies on the ground, and both of them are females. And both What race them, are they? One of them is a, a blue dragon. And the other one is a half-orc female. Both of them are female. Okay. So um, I want to look around the camp to see if there's anything else that might have been left by the, by the three that, that I saw with torches that were walking downstream. Okay. So as you look around, yeah, go ahead and make a perception check for me. Ten. So you don't see anything overly important. You see a um, the fire that has been put out. You see the billowing smoke coming up. Uh, and over top that fire, there was like a, a roasting spit that has um, what's left of it. looks like a pig of some sort that was roasting. Um, you see a tent uh, that has kind of been collapsed and doesn't really look like there's anything in it. Um, a couple of uh, trees that have been felled so they could sit around a, a small campfire uh, but you don't notice anything it almost looks like whoever was here straight up pillaged everything if I were to investigate the bodies to see if there was anything on the bodies or to see what markings might have indicated the reason of their death uh, yeah go ahead and make an investigation check for me 11 okay so as you look over the bodies, you notice that uh, the the females are, are fully clothed, so it doesn't appear that they were, you know, not to 
be horrible, but taken advantage of in any way. Um, they have cuts on their necks. Um, they're bled out in the in the dirt, right where they are laying, and they're they don't have, from what you can tell, anything on their person. They don't have any jewelry. They don't have satchels on them that contain any items or anything. So it almost seems as if with that investigation check likely that they were robbed and killed. How close apart, how close together are these two? Uh, they're laying almost shoulder to shoulder. In the, in I want to reach over and with both my left and right hand, place my hands on their foreheads to see if I still feel any body heat. I, I mean, I would say yes. I mean, it's only been probably five or six hours. I would say that you you went down and started to clear camp and made your way back up this way. I would say that the bodies are still warm, but they're definitively losing heat. <laughs> so I want to um, I want to look downstream along the path that the three figures were walking. I want to see how carefully these three figures were moving away from this site. As a dragonborn who had spent a lot of time in the woods as a child, I grew attuned to looking for small broken branches or broken twigs that were laying on the 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 bed line of the of the forest to indicate where recent people have stepped to and in an effort to track them I would also like to assess whether or not they were trying to leave this place with any sort of care if they were trying to avoid breaking twigs or leaving any sign of their presence Okay, so as you start to, you obviously know which direction these individuals went in. Mm -hmm. So as you start to go that, uh, start to look for some sign of their tracks, go ahead and give me an investigation check. Ten. I would say that you, you're having a relatively difficult time tracking them, but you are noticing things like footprints and broken twigs and things, but it's not easy but you're getting the the vibe that it's because near the water the dirt and the trees are more robust and healthier and and they're moving along the river line so they're not leaving a lot of trace just because of that um, so them moving between this they're not breaking a lot of branches or twigs or leaves or anything it, it it's hard for you to tell whether or not it's because they're actually moving stealthily or just because the natural terrain isn't lending way to them leaving a lot of tracks. So I want to more aggressively pursue them. Okay. So uh, how so you just like quicken your pace essentially. Mm-hmm. Okay. So until I can get visibility or some sort of line of sight and then, then I want to slow down a little bit. Okay. So you take off kind of uh, hurriedly. I wouldn't say running, but as you spend a lot of time in the woods, you making your way quickly and quietly. And I'd say after about, I don't know, 45 minutes or so, as you approach near the bottom of the river again, where it opens up into the lake, you see a single torch off in the distance. And the figure looks relatively the same as one of the other, one of the figures that you saw across the river. You can't really tell, but you would, I imagine, would surmise that it's one of these Mm -hmm. people. And they're standing looking around. How far away from them am I? Um, I would say you're kind of tucked down and you're a a black dragon. So you kind of blend in 
with your surroundings very easily. Um, I would say probably a good like hundred feet or so. So I'm gonna sheath my halberd on my back. Okay. And is there some sort of path that that we were following, or some sort of maybe some trail that might look traveled? I I will say that if or are we just out in the middle of nowhere? No, I would say that there's a there's a trail along the river, but it's it's like a uh, like a deer trail, like a wildlife trail. It's very thin, like so, like animals would take, and they're just kind of following it because that seems that path is the only open path that seems to be along the river. So I'm gonna kind of stealthily move away from the shoreline. Okay, if I can, I'd like further, to further inland. I'd like to go further inland just to get away from the river because these people were just traveling between this camp and where they currently are. And I'd like to kind of see if I can't get further away from the water. Okay, so make a stealth check for me. 13. Okay, so you sheath your halberd and you walk slowly and sure-footedly through the woods as to not to step on any branches or make a ton of noise because being 100 feet away is a is a distance, but you also only see one person. Mm-hmm. Um, so are you trying to like arc your way around this individual? I'm really just trying to put myself a little further away from the river. Okay. Yeah. I mean, that that's fine. So you kind of, uh, with ease, put yourself, I mean, just about as far back as you're intending to. I don't okay. really know what your intentions are as far as distance goes. So. Once I add some distance between the river and myself, I, I quit sneaking Mm -hmm. and I try to make the appearance that I've just walked out of the woods to the water and I want to walk by these by this individual okay so you start to walk out in the open and you know 50 40 30 feet as you approach this uh, and I'm like not even minding them at all I'm just looking at the river and not really paying any attention to them at all. I see that there is a person there and my my uh my intention is to be like I just woke up and I'm coming to the water. Okay. Well, I just rolled a perception check for this guy and it rolled a 2. So, you uh <laughs> as you're walking, I notice that he doesn't notice me. Yeah, right, right. And, oh yeah, uh, for sure with a 2, absolutely. And uh I kind of just kind of stretch my arms up and do a little dragon yawn and uh in an attempt to try to get his attention to let him know that you know he's seeing me in a natural way just as i'm waking up of a morning okay so as you approach this person and make this noise he turns around and you see um he's very tall is a is a drow and a drow is a is a dark elf, and he immediately draws his weapons. And he's actually more confused than he is. Like he doesn't look like he's ready to fight, but he's he was just kind of prepping himself. Um, and he sees you, and puts his weapons down. And do you say anything to him? Or I kind of see that he became startled and tried to draw his weapon, and I give him another yawn. And I give him a gesture as just to like, no, 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 none of that. And uh, I just walk up to the river and I kneel down near the water and go to reach for the water to 
just wash my face for the morning and I look back at him over my shoulder and I say, what brings you to this neck of the woods? So he's, he's just kind of looking at you and he's kind of given the whole, uh, like squint. He's like squinting his eyes and just kind of trying to get a read on you. And after I ask that question, I just reach down into the water and grab some water and just splash my face and wash off my arms and just, you know, what would look like a morning ritual for some lonely dragon. Okay. And I'm imagining you're... Uh, you're taking this approach is to just be extremely nonchalant like it is just kind of natural seeing someone out in the wild like this Mm -hmm. okay so you see he's giving you this look and he turns back around and um, into the woods and he says Brutusk Fang and then as you, you hear this you turn back around and where you had just come from, you see a uh, a blue dragon and a very tall orc kind of poke up through the flora around you. And these individuals were very close to where you were, almost as if they were watching you. Um, and they they walk out of the plants and more into the pathway and walk down to where this um, this drow was standing and the drow looks and says seems we have a uh, a lone dragon and they just kind of look back and forth and they just kind of get like this like a dirty smile on their face make a perception check for me Seven. Okay. So they just kind of make a smile and I mean, it wouldn't take a, a great perception check to be able to tell that it's not like a good smile. And I would imagine that what you're surmising is that they're trying My to... back is facing them. So I'm not even, I don't even see them. Oh, you didn't turn, you didn't turn no, around. I'm still washing myself in the, in the, in the water. Okay. So, uh, they start to approach you. Yeah, I just asked the question, and they didn't. Did the guy not respond? He just yelled out to the other two. Yeah. Okay. And they all three start to move towards you, and as they do, they're drawing their weapons. So I turn around, and I see that they're coming at me. My back is facing the water, and I say, "Huh, a blue dragon and an orc. A good day for killing." And I draw my halberd out. Okay. And prepare for for battle. All right. Um, they are staggered in a uh, in a position around you. They're trying to kind of close you in against the shoreline, and uh, the drow is holding a kind of a curved longsword, um, and then the orc has two daggers in his hands. And the dragon has a broadsword that he's wielding in both hands. Um, and you kind of get the, the feeling that the, the individual with the two daggers is kind of call back to the slits and the, the dead bodies throats that you saw these people at. Um, perhaps that's what he used to kill them. And they're kind of standing there around you and they aren't, moving in on you they're just kind of standing there 
and the drow holds out his curved sword and says, um, leave all your belongings here and leave. I must warn you, I am not a woman. Um, so the orc is very tall. He's probably about as tall as you are because you're tall for a dragonborn. Um, the orc rushes you and he's going to make a attack at you. All right. Neither of those are going to hit. One's a six and one's a critical fail. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, as he is coming toward me, I reach to my back and grab my halberd. I swing it around the front of me and point my blade toward him and the base of the halberd toward my feet. And I stab it into the dirt at the base of my foot. Okay. So as, as he's coming at you, he sees the halberd hit the ground and he kind of side spins to go around it. And as he does, he kind of takes a, a, a slash kind of as you're planning this and as, his slash, it kind of hits the side of your halberd and it knocks the dagger out of his hand. And his other one, as he comes around, um, he takes a swipe at you, but the halberd from his other hand getting hit, it kind of throws him off and he kind of like stumbles on the ground and he is for a moment on his knees below you. Do you take any action against him as he's kind of prone in front of you at the moment? I jump up in the air backwards into the water to where I'm now knee deep in the water. Okay. As your halberd, did you bring your halberd too? Mm -hmm. okay. Yeah, I was holding it at the neck. Okay. So uh, you just kind of leave him alone there? Yep. Okay. And as I land, the water around me splashes. And in a bit of a effort for showmanship, I look at the ground and or the water as it ripples away from me and I kind of look up at them and I say, this is your final warning. So uh, the orc gets up and kind of wipes the dirt off of his face and kind of steps backwards into back into his formation and the drow kind of steps forward and holds his sword up at you again and says you either leave your belongings here or feel free to swim back across the lake and they start to encroach on you in the water. Well I ain't having none of this shit so I take steps toward them I pull the halberd up and this orc that had just fallen down to his knees likely has already had time to recuperate and he is back in fighting stance and I approach him and I attack with my halberd. Okay. Go ahead and make an attack roll. 17. Okay. So, I mean, yeah, you kind of described this hit to me. So, I am emerging from the water and as you emerge from water, you know, water weighs, weighs more, kind of weighs you down a little bit. So as I'm walking up on the shore, I kind of do a little bit of a lofty gait. Uh, I hold the halberd in both hands and I point my body toward the right of the person that I'm attacking. 
and I kind of sidestep, skip out of the water, and with my right hand, I just swing down and to the right to, like, slash through his torso. Okay. So um, the orc himself is wearing kind of like a, a plate armor, and whenever your halberd kind of connects with him, it cuts through the plate armor, and you just see blood start to pour out of the wound as your halberd is moving through his armor, and it cuts the plate clean through, and it kind of falls off the bottom half of his of his torso. And as you see this, blood starts to like pour down and he he like puts his hand over his his wound and kind of falls to the ground and just is like and kind of steps backwards. Um and go ahead and give me the damage on that. 16. 16, okay. So um you hit him for 16 damage and he th- he takes a step backwards and kind of recuses himself from the fight as the other two continue to move in on you. And they, they kind of look backwards and see what just happened. And, uh, the drow is pretty focused on you, but the blue dragon kind of has a look of hesitancy on his face. And at this point in time, after I see the blood come out of this orc, I look to the ground and I just yell, Fang. Because I don't know which one's actually named Fang, so I don't want to look at them to reveal that I don't know which one is named Fang. But okay. I'm going to get the attention of, some, of the one named Fang because I heard his name screamed a few moments ago. Okay. I'm going to say, Fang, I can assure you what I have on me is not worth your life. So um, the drow has a sword kind of up and pointed at you. And the orc that is bleeding from his chest kind of puts his hand up and uh, heals. Brutusk! <clears throat> Shangla! <clears throat> Stop! And they both kind of lower their weapons and step backwards away from you. And. Is the orc still like. Is he suffering at all? Oh, yeah, that was. He's like on his knee, like bent over, and like one of his hands is like over top of his wound, kind of like holding it as he's like ripping pieces of his like of his pant leg, like off. And so it like seems patch. like it seems like his name was Fang, was the orc, right? So the other one was name was Brutist. Yes. So I take another step toward Fang, and with my halberd. I hit him in the top of the head. I want to kill this man. All right. So go ahead and give me an attack roll. 18. Okay. So when you do this, you swing down at at Fang, and he looks up, and your halberd is like inches from his face, and there is the curved sword of the drow that like ricochets off of your halberd and it kind of catches it underneath the hook of the other side of the blade and it's kind of like holding it up and there's like this uh sparring moment like where he's trying to hold up your halberd and you're kind of pushing down towards this thing's or fang's head um and go ahead and give me a strength check 
16. Okay. So when you do this, the you're pushing down on your on the halberd and it's like inches away from his head and it's starting to move move towards it. But uh Fang as in just that small moment kind of ducks and kind of rolls out of the way even though he's in blood is just like pouring in all over the ground and um he stands up and he grabs um he grabs the drow's hand and kind of pulls it backwards and he says uh we will we will leave you be just just go we have we have no interest in whatever you have I shouldn't have bothered you at all we and he's like he's struggling to breathe oh but Fang why the sudden change of heart you didn't have the same compassion for the ladies I found down the river and the drow kind of turns around and, and looks at you and kind of lowers his weapon and he like he gets like a confused look on his face and he says were were you not the murderer of those women no in fact i believe you were and with the way you approached me i have evidence to believe you approached them the same way. Uh, the the drow says, um, "I I saw you f- following us from the other side of the river, and when we found the woman, we we heard them scream, and we approached their camp, and we watched them die. But I can assure you, we were too late. We are." A scouting party for the the city up ahead is this we did no such thing a strange group of individuals yes but we wouldn't m- murder women senselessly so what sense did you have we did not murder these women we thought you might have which is why we ambushed you the way that we did and as he's saying this he sheathes his weapon and in the same kind of fashion that you had whenever you turned kind of away from them because you didn't fear them at that moment, he's trying to, the, the vibe that you get, he's kind of like trusting that you're accepting what he's saying. And he, he reaches into his, his pouch and he pulls out a um, kind of like a large cloth, like almost like gauze, but specifically meant for like patching wounds. And he, he lifts up his orc companion's arm and just kind of wraps this around his wound and says, let us, let us go. We have, we must get Fang back before he, before he bleeds out. Before you leave, show me the mark of your God's band. Proof that you indeed are a scouting party. Otherwise, I will serve as your executioner for the crimes you have committed upstream. So the blue dragon kind of, um, he has kind of like a, um, 
spalders on and they have like layers and he walks up to you and grabs the top layer of the spalders on his shoulders and pulls it back and as he lets them all fall they fall like cards and all on top of each other and all of them on the the tips of the spalders have um, a symbol and the drow as he's like packed or uh, wrapping up fang he says that is the symbol of our city the symbol of besegu which is the name of the city that rests on the lake. We've been having issues with bandits murdering individuals on the way to our city, and we're out here to track them. I see. So your method for interrogating potential suspects is to have them leave all of their belongings and then leave? We don't want to kill anyone. If we can intimidate them and get them to to go back to whatever scum hole they crawled out of, we will, and we could take things back to our city. We are not a rich city. Our only profitable economy is the, the fish that come from the, the lake, and even that has been struggling as of late. Anything that we could take back to our families and the individuals in our city, we will. You may go, but trust me, when I attempted to finish Fang, I was doing him a favor. So, uh, the drow is, he's a very tall, um, elf, and he's very dark-skinned, he has dark eyes, and he looks back at you as, as he's kind of helping Fang up off, off the ground and kind of throws Fang's arm over his shoulder and starts to, to walk along the edge of the river, and he looks back at you and says, it's interesting of you to judge us for how we handle the taking of someone's life or belongings when you make comments such as he deserving death. You get to be judge, jury, and executioner, but everyone else can't even make a simple choice as this. Seems hypocritical if you ask me. And he takes a few more steps forward and uh, looks back at you and says, Still, if you would like to join us in the city, you will be welcomed. We apologize for treating you in the way that we have, but again, we thought you were a murderer. And if not you, then feel free to take solace and respite in our city tonight. So I just turn around, jump in the water, swim back across to the other side. And just leave him there? Just leave. Okay. You kind of swam back across the lake, and as you look, uh, the sun is now higher up in the sky, and it's kind of, I would say it's um, approaching noon. And, you know, the, the lake is full of life. You see boats starting to go out into the water. Um, and just like he said, this being a small fishing town, sure enough, there are multiple boats out fishing. And as you are sitting at the edge of uh, your newfound camp kind of watching this happen you see a small boat kind of rowing in, into town with what it looks like to be three people on the boat um, and sure enough they head back into the town so it, it would appear um, that the story that they gave you seems to check out well enough and just kind of want to fast forward a little bit into the day um, as the sun is setting, you are throughout throughout the day. I kind of resume my normal survival 
things. I collect a number of small vegetables, fruits, anything that I can find nearby. I, at a moment, climb a tree and sit in the tree and wait for any sort of wildlife to be walking underneath the tree to literally pounce upon it to kind of hunt, to forage, and and just to try to get any sorts of meats throughout the day. That's what I do during the day. Okay. So I would I would say that you've uh, you've had a small amount of success. I mean, this is a body of water that random wildlife come down to to uh, to eat. So I'd say between your dagger and you literally jumping on top of some of these animals, you've you've scavenged a few uh, squirrels and rabbits and things. Nothing huge, but enough to uh, to make yourself dinner for that night. And that evening, as you uh, made a camp, I'm assuming you have a, you've made a campfire. Yeah, you had so, to cook. So as you're sitting at the campfire, you are cooking your food and um, make a perception check for me. Six. Okay. So um, you're sitting at the campfire, uh, kind of eating your food, and then um, you kind of hear some rustling in in the brush, and as you look up, you see the drow this large elf and he just kind of walks he's not holding a weapon or anything he just kind of walks out uh, from a from beside the shoreline and between the trees and approaches you and uh, walks up and sits a I would say directly in front of you across the fire and sits down he is he is alone and he just kind of sits and stares into the fire for a few minutes and I uh, gesture toward some of the remains of the luck that I had earlier that day hunting Okay, and invite him to partake so when you do this he kind of holds up his hand and kind of gestures that like a no like a no thank you and then he reaches behind his back and pulls out uh, kind of like somewhat of a small backpack and slings it around and he opens it up and pulls out uh, a net and hands it to you and it has five or six fairly sized fish that you would assume that he had caught or brought from the city and he hands them over to you um, and says, I'm assuming you'll need food uh, for the morning. I hope these keep well if you have a place to store them. And he then reaches uh, and he hands them over to you. Do you take them or? Yeah. And then he reaches back into his bag and he pulls out a um, a small, almost, it looks like a stick when he pulls it out. And he reaches across the, across the fire and hands it to you. And whenever you grab it, um, it's a flute. And he says... Our city of Besegu is not is not a big city. We're known for two things. We're known for the fish that the traders come and buy to take inland to sell. And we're known for our musical prowess. And I want you to have this as a as a thank you and an apology for the way that we treated you at the other side of the river. So take this and 
I don't know if you're... <laughs> and he kind of chuckles and says, musically inclined. But I can assure you that in the most dire of times and when you need it the most, having some type of outlet can be most stress relieving. And he's kind of holding this this flute in his hand, kind of outstretched towards you. I reach up and grab it and nod. So when you take it, you notice that this this flute is I uh, it's remarkably made. It is um it's made with wood that has been stained and it has a very elegant um woodcut pattern in it and around the the holes where you place your fingers it's there's gold inlay and it like shimmers is almost as if there's diamond encrusted in the in the very wood of this flute and uh whenever you lift it to your mouth to play and the noises that come from it it's not it's not like any flute or musical instrument that you've heard before it is pristine clean calming sound and you don't know if it's because of the music itself or it's because of the instrument but you have an innate connection to the sound and you it calms you and you have a feeling of warmth and peace that rush over you like nothing you have felt in a very long time I'm kind of sitting near the campfire and I after hearing the sound I hold the flute down and and I say how is Fang holding up? Fang is <sighs> Fang has suffered worse wounds but <laughs> and he chuckles and says you got him good he is in the infirmary healing he's been given the proper treatment and give him a fortnight and he will be fine but you I sure you have made him rethink his approach on, on certain things and it, it's very difficult we don't have warriors in our town I'd say between myself and uh, Brutus and Fang we are we might be the only fighters we have there so we have, we apologize for our tenacity but you seem yourself to be a great fighter. I had damn well better be a good fighter. I've been fighting my entire life. 